We've been walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been doing this for some time now. And uh, we are now to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. In Luke 16, what's going to occur as Jesus is teaching here, is now He's going to again, as He's been doing, we just came through Luke 15, where He had a parable. And as you recall, when we looked at the parables of Luke chapter 15, Jesus was addressing those to the Pharisees, quite honestly. He was sharing those his, the target of the parables in Luke chapter 15 was the Pharisees and to sort of mess with their misunderstanding about God. And Luke 15 helps us to understand the, the character of God. That God loves sinners and desires to change them. That's what God wants to do in our lives. God is a change agent in our lives, and He's always changing us. Luke 15 made that very clear. Now we go to Luke chapter 16. Look at the, verse, the very first phrase. He also said to the disciples. So in Luke chapter 16, there's a, it's almost as if Jesus is here speaking towards the Pharisees, and He gave a, a scathing set of parables. If you were the Pharisee here in Luke chapter 15, you're injured a little bit. But now it's like his gaze comes back to the twelve and the others that were following along, a small group of people, and Jesus has something to say to them. Let's read it. There was a rich man who had a manager. This is also a word steward, your translation may say. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Now really that question wasn't one he was looking for information. It was an opening statement to what he's getting ready to say. Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. You're fired, Donald Trump would say. You're done. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill. Sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, I, I believe that this would have just occurred. He had many debtors. Let me just say, Jesus is making up this story. It's important to understand about parables. He's making this story up with a point. With a point. The master then, in verse number 8, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And then Jesus says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, verse 9, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into 
the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then, you who have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I don't know how it is in your house, maybe like your house that you grow up in, okay? But you probably go home around holidays, maybe. Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And there's usually some unwritten rules about these visits, right? I have a somewhat of a large family. Five children in my family, and they all had just a slew of kids. So we all come together and just fill my house. It's interesting about these sort of gatherings, okay? You picture us all in the living room there, all crowded in the living room. Of course, the TV's on. The Detroit Lions are probably getting beat on the screen. But uh, I just couldn't help it, buddy. You know, but we're all there in the room, and the football game is playing, and there's these little conversations that are going on all all around the room, right? But there's a few unwritten rules. I mean, there are some things that you just don't talk about, right? You have some of these? They're not written on the wall anywhere, okay? There's no record book. There's no, there's no law book that says you cannot talk about politics. But in my house, it doesn't happen, okay? You don't talk about politics. Why? Because there's one member of my family who's pretty liberal, and there's another member of my family who's pretty conservative, and you start talking about it, what's going to happen? Conflict, right? You don't talk about religion. Why? Well, because Mickey's over there and he's a pastor, so we can't talk about religion, right? That's how it works. You don't, you don't talk about that. Are there some of these rules in your house? You know there's a rule in church. There's a rule. And the rule is, don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. And if you do, if you do, borrow from some of the, you know, false teachers in the world who say, if you're godly, then you'll get plenty. If you're going to talk about money, talk about that. Now, why is it that we, and me, I'm, I'm in this little group as well, why is it that we don't like to hear what Jesus has to say about money? Why is it? I mean, give me a second, I will preach a message on honoring your parents in a heartbeat. Give me some time, I'll preach a message about sex in a second. I don't care, I'll talk about it. Talk about marriage, easy. Money? You know why? Because people don't like when you talk about their idol. Keep your hands off of my idol. This parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16, let me tell you, he upsets the tables on us. He does. He comes barging into our living rooms where our checkbook is laying and he's going to upset that thing. And some of us don't like it because it's an idol. It's an idol. 
Now, we're going to talk today about stewardship. That word is actually used in this passage, in verse number 1. There was a rich man who had a manager. That is the word steward, okay? It is the manager of a house. It's take two Greek words, manager and house, shove them together, and that's what you got, okay? Stewardship is defined as this, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, Especially, my little dictionary says, the careful, responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. So stewardship is this. You have something, you have control over something, but it's not yours. But you have the authority to use it however you deem fit. That's what stewardship is. Here's a biblical definition. If you look up in Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, which, by the way, is probably my favorite Bible dictionary. If you want to get your hands on one, they're real cheap at the Christian bookstore, and I really like it. And it says this, it's the responsibility to acknowledge the Lord as owner of all. It's what biblical stewardship is. God owns it all. It's the responsibility to understand that and to manage all the resources of life for the glory of God. Now, when usually when I say stewardship, we all think money. Money. And definitely this parable is dealing with money. Luke 16, Jesus is talking about money. But can I just challenge you that it's broader than that? You have been given, we have been given resources from the Lord. And we are charged with the use of them. And quite honestly, you can use them any way you want to. Your time. Your given time. 24 hours a day. 168 hours a week. And the truth is, you have full responsibility. You have full authority to use it however you want to. You're here this morning. I I appreciate that about you. You didn't have to. You could have hit the snooze and slept in. That was your decision. Do you see how stewardship works? You make the call of how you're going to use it. But the truth is, it's not your time. It's not your time. God has given you this time. Now, that applies in many areas of life. I just tried to make a list of some of these things. Our money, obviously. Our time. Our ability. Some of us have more abilities. You may have much more ability than me. We have been given a stewardship over our abilities. We can use them however we want to. Our position. Some in this room have very high positions in our culture. You've been given that. You can use it however you want to. Your knowledge. Some of you are smart. I mean, you've just got a a wealth of knowledge. You've been given that. It's not yours. You've been bought with the price. You can use it however you want to. Your time, your gifting, your relationships. Your Not just your relationships, meaning relationships that you have with other people, but think about this. Your relationship potential. Stay with me. I have a potential for a number of relationships that I can have, and so do you. And I'm given the authority to handle those however I want to. I can keep people at an arm's length if I want to, and you can't come near. And I can make that decision. Or I can open up my heart in relationship. Stewardship is a huge part of life. It truly is. Life is a stewardship. Somebody said this. I hear Pastor Billy say it a lot. Somebody said this at a a ministry he served at before. We're never owner, always steward. 
never owner. If you're in Jesus, you don't own anything. You say, well, I earned it. But you really want to go there? Do we really want to go? Do we get what we've earned? Is that where we want to go? We've got to be consistent. Mm-mm, we don't want to go there. Never owner, always steward. So that's the concept of stewardship. Can I mention that in verse 2, the, the, again, the word stewardship is used. I, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul had to say about this same word steward. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us, Paul. The Apostle Paul writes, this is how you should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards or managers of the mysteries of God. That's you and me. We are the stewards, the manager of the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? That God has given us His Word, that God has sent His Son, that, that we are in Christ. We've been given that as a stewardship. We can use it however we want to. And then Paul says this in verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's what we're going to talk about today. What does that mean? Okay, so to the parable in Luke 16. You need to understand, first of all, this is a discipleship lesson that Jesus has given to his disciples. It's a discipleship lesson, and really the lesson is live on purpose. Live on purpose. Don't just scoot around. Live on purpose. And you've been given a stewardship. Let's talk about this manager, what was expected of him. Okay? A manager of this type handled another person's wealth. Now, wealth in this culture was not really measured the same way that it is here. You weren't wealthy because you had a huge number of coins or something like that. You were wealthy because you had resources. In this parable, Jesus uses wheat and oil. And there were many other resources that would measure a man or a woman's wealth. Livestock, land, these kinds of things. Okay, But the manager or the steward is given authority over it. Because the rich man, the master, by the way... Often, the steward was a slave. Often. I don't think he was in Jesus' story because of something that comes later, but I don't really know. Jesus made it up anyway. It's not like we can find this person. But the, the manager was typically a slave. But they were given authority, and they could spend. We see in this story, he could do practically anything he wanted to. He went to one of the debtors and said, just change the number. You see, he's given complete authority to do this. And the goal of the servant or of the manager of the steward, he's he's a trusted employee, okay? But his goal was to be faithful and to act in a way, now listen to this, to act in a way that would please his master, that would be beneficial, that would meet the goals of his master. That's the role of steward. I'm to do something that pleases my master, And in this story, pleasing him is going to be making dollars. So the property does not belong to him, but he's he's called by the owner to do something that that pleases the master. Well, this master, in verse number 1 and 2, is dissatisfied. Dissatisfied master. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions Now, there's nothing here to indicate that he's embezzling. I don't think that's the case. Not yet, although we do see he's certainly capable of that. Okay? He doesn't appear to be stealing. The word here is using is squandered. Same word that Jesus used in Luke chapter 15. I suspect that when Jesus went from the parable of the the sons, 
who squandered their father's wealth? I suspect that Jesus said, oh, you want to be upset about him squandering? Let me talk to you about squandering. So the same word. He's wasting the possessions. And he called him. This dissatisfied master did. He called him. And he said, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. So let's reconcile the books. Bring the books. I want to look at them. Now, mistake he made, he should have said, you're fired and get out of here, right? But he didn't do that. This master wasn't real bright in Jesus' story. And he said, tell you what, tomorrow, you know, at at 1 o'clock, meet me at the office and bring the books. So this, this master was dissatisfied, but he wasn't real smart. This is why when people get fired, okay, they go to their office and they, they'll go with a security guard, I'm told. This never happened to me. But you go to a security guard with a box. they got a security and empty all of your desk. And the security guard walks you out, puts you in the car, and you drive away. Why? Because when this person's being fired, it's not uncommon for us to say, I'm going to steal everything I can and fill my box of pens and paper and, you know, really have a great time writing notes or whatever. Okay? So he doesn't do that. And this manager who was squandering now takes a further step into dishonesty. Now, remember where we're going to go. This guy's going to cheat. He's going to steal. He's going to lie. And Jesus is going to commend him. That should bother you. You should be like, huh? What are you talking about? How can you commend him? Take him out in the street and beat him, Jesus. That's what he deserves. Now, let me just say, there's nothing in this that Jesus says he was right in what he did. But Jesus is going to use this bad example to challenge us in how we look at our stewardship. So let's see what he does. What shall I do? I know what I'll do. Because I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm too lazy to work, and I'm too proud to beg, so I know exactly what I'll do. So, verse 5, he summons his master's debtors. hundred measures of oil. Um, the measure of oil was called a bath, okay? It was called a bath in that culture, not like bathtub, but that's just what it was called. It's a Hebrew word, actually, it's bath, okay? A hundred, it's about 10 gallons. I want, I, want you to get, I want you to get the value of this. It's about, a bath is about 10 gallons. So a hundred baths would be a thousand gallons of oil. Now Jesus is just making this story up on the spot, okay? But this would be about 500 denarii is what this would be. The value of this. You say, what does that mean? A denarii was how much a person made in a day. So that means this is how much a person would make in about two years that he forgives. He writes it off and forgives him for about two and a, really about two years, we'll say two years, just make it easy, two years of wage. Just erase it. Same thing with the wheat. It's about the same amount. It's interesting. It's about the same amount. It's about two years' wages. So he just actually has the other person erase it, reduce it by about two years' wages. Erase it, Reduce it by about two years' wages. And he does it, he says very clearly why he's doing it. Okay? He does this because he wants them to open up them to houses. Look at verse number four. I decide what to do so that when I'm removed from my management, 
People may receive me into their houses. Now, here's why I don't think he was a slave in Jesus' story. If he was a slave, when the guy fired him, he'd either kill him, he had the right to do that, or put him in another role. But that's not what's going to happen. He's going to be fired. He's going to be homeless. And so he comes up with this plan, this dishonest manager. Now, then comes the kicker. Verse number 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master here is not Jesus. It's not God. It's the owner of all of this. The master is like, he figures out what he's doing. figures out what he's done. He's like, I got to give it to you, man. You are sharp. I got to give it to you. Let me shake your hand. You know, that's a pretty cool deal. Now, get out of here. You're fired, but I'm pretty impressed with how shrewd you are. That's what the master does. Because the master, there's nothing he can do about it. It's done. And out the door he goes. It's a troubling parable, isn't it? It's a little troubling. But Jesus is going to explain it. He says, for the sons of this world, who's that? That's just anybody. That's anybody. That's somebody born that lives here on the planet, has a job, maybe some savings, has a clock, 168 hours, has some abilities, just anybody. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus is saying, the people of this world, they're more wise and how they're handling the resources, then you are as a believer. You, he says to the disciples, who understand the truth of heaven, who understand the truth of eternity, you guys need to look at them and learn. He's not saying look at them and be dishonest, but he's saying look at them and learn. There's something to be learned from people of the world and how they're wise and using the things that have been given to them as a stewardship. Verse number number nine. I tell you, make friends for yourselves. Do likewise, he's saying. Not be dishonest, but make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. He's saying not, not not to act in an unrighteous way, but use the dollars that you have to influence other people for the kingdom, is what he's saying. So that when it fails, how confident he is that it will. You see that? How confident he is that this dollar will fail. When it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. There's a principle that Jesus is trying to help us to understand. And he's doing it by using this story that is a little bit bothersome. And this is the principle. We as sons of light, who understand eternity, who understand that we may have, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years here, but in light of eternity, do you realize it's gone in a second? It's nothing. I used to teach calculus at the high school. And I used to demonstrate to my students, these little 11th, 12th graders, that, you know, their heads were huge because they were so smart, Thought they had everything figured out? And I would demonstrate to them the truth of eternity and how mathematically we can understand that when you have eternity 
as long as 80 years may be, as long as 100 years may seem to you, mathematically, it is zero. Zero. My time on this earth, compared to eternity, is the same numerically as the number zero. Nil. Nada. So Jesus says, you who understand that, you, the sons of light, you that understand this truth about heaven and about eternity, do this. Intentionally, intentionally use the temporary to impact the eternal. Use the, te- use the things that are, that are just now. Your bath of oil that you have at your house, okay? Okay, probably not. But you get the idea. The things that you have stewardship over that are only temporary, use them to effect eternity. It's foolish to do anything else. I'll tell you what, it is amazing. Even people in this room. It is amazing. There's nothing wrong with this. It is amazing how some people just have an ability to take a nickel and squeeze it and do some magical thing to it, and it turns into a dime. It's just like, how do you do this? There are people who just have this knowledge of money and of investment and of the stock market and of, you know, all these things, and they're just able, they're just able to turn, you know, what you and I have into big amounts. It's just amazing. I know other people that, you know, they can buy something and they'll work on it just a little bit. You know, they'll repair it here and they'll do this. They'll, you know, they'll put it for sale and boom, they make like $2,000 off the sale. I'm like, why can't I do that, you know? Jesus is saying, as wise as people are of the world and using the stewardship they've been given to just be a blessing to themselves, Why don't the sons of light do that for eternity? What's the problem? Well, I think I know what it is. I think I know what it is. I I think the problem is we don't see it as temporary. We don't see it as temporary. And so often the sons of light, who should know much better, become very consumed with making their temporary as nice as the eternal. They're trying to improve the temporary in hopes that it will become eternal. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Let me tell you some things that are eternal. Okay? I don't have these in your notes, but just listen to this. The crown of righteousness. Paul describes it in 2 Timothy 4.8. He says there's a crown of righteousness for all those who love His appearing. For those of us who look forward to the day that Jesus comes and our life reflects him because we can't wait till he's here. I can't wait till Jesus comes back and takes me to be with him. I can't wait to be with Christ. Crown of righteousness. There's an incorruptible crown according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know what it is? It's for those who understand that my body is not my own. 1 Corinthians. My body is not my own. And I will put it under the submission of Christ and He will call the shots in my life. Incorruptible crown. There's a crown of life, James talks about, and so does the book of Revelation. You know what it is? It's for those who endure trial patiently. For them there will be a crown of life. There's a crown of glory. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, specifically talking to pastors, leaders in the church, 
who are faithful in their leadership. Crown of glory. And then there's this crown of rejoicing that 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about. And it's for those who are investing their life in the evangelism and discipleship of people. This is five crowns. And there's other talk of crowns in the Bible. But these are eternal things. And what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, look around you. People who are of the world are wisely using what they have to impact their life. You use what you have to impact eternal. So then he goes forward, okay? He's not, Jesus isn't done. I told you, he is flipping over the tables. And here comes another one, verse 9. Well, I already did verse 9, okay? Verse 10. Let me just put verse, I have a principle for you in verse number 9. Go ahead, guys. There we go, one more. Verse 9. Practically speaking, use your resources to further the kingdom of God. We've, we've hit that pretty heavy. Verse number 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you who, you who have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth. Now, what was unrighteous wealth? If you look back up at verse 9, I want you to see what Jesus is saying here. You are to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That's what the master, not the master of the parable, the master Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is saying, make friends, effect eternity, using unrighteous wealth. That is faithfulness as as defined by Jesus. Use unrighteous wealth to impact eternity. Now go to verse number 10. The one who is very faithful and little is faithful and much. The one who is dishonest and very little is dishonest and much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? Here's what Jesus is saying in verse 10 through 12. Character produces faithfulness, not opportunity. Here's what he's saying. If you don't use the little thing that you've got, you say, well, I don't have much. I am busy beyond belief. I mean, I'm working like 60 hours a week. i got 14 kids. I've got to mow my grass. I I have just got so much pressure on me. I don't have anything to give. Jesus is saying, if you're not faithful with the little resource you have, What makes you think I'm going to give you more opportunity? When the opportunity comes, you're going to do exactly what you've been doing with the little thing you have. Somebody get this idea. You know, if somebody ran in here and they said, you're going to die because of Jesus, I would stand up and say, shoot me in the chest because I'm a man. Truth is, if your coworker says, hey, I know you go to church on Sunday. What is that all about? And you're like, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. I just, it's just like a club. I just kind of go there. See, if in little things we aren't faithful, in the big things we're not going to be either. So how do you handle the resources God has given you? 
Now, this is not saying, let me be clear about something. This is not saying, if you're faithful with your money, then God is going to bless you and you'll have more. Nope. No, that doesn't matter to a son of light. That doesn't matter to a son of light. Here's what it says. If you are faithful and use the resources God has given you for eternity, he'll give you more opportunities to do that. And that excites sons of light. I was talking with a great pastor last week. He was telling me, I said, so is there anything that like, you like to do like in your free time? You know, or you just read the Bible. Is that all you do? He's like, yeah, you know, I like to fish. Oh, that's cool. Where do you fish? He's telling me. He said, I was saving up for a boat. I said, oh, you were? Yeah, I was saving for a boat. and I put, the, put aside $600. It might have sound a lot to you, but it was a lot to him. I put aside $600, and I was going to buy a boat. I said, that's pretty cool. He said, then I got thinking. I don't need that boat. I don't need that $600. So the man gave it away. He gave it away. I got a boat sitting at my house that has never seen the water for years. What faithfulness. What a challenge. I sat there like, wow. Tell you what, I might not even see you in heaven. Because you're going to be so far ahead of me in line that I won't even be able to see you. He's up there probably somewhere, but I'm not even going to see him. Now, I'm not saying you got, I'm not saying you got to sell your boat, okay? You know what? I was going to offer him my boat. He doesn't even want it, okay? So that, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is this, though. When we're faithful in small things, $600, that's nothing. Some of us spend that in a meal, quite honestly, occasionally. You know, we could do that. On a trip, and now, $600 gone. I know that's small, He's faithful in small things. More opportunities will come his way. I say that with confidence of God's word. Maybe not more money. He's probably never going to have a boat. You know that? He's not going to go to his mailbox tomorrow, more than likely. I mean, this could happen. He's not going to go to his mailbox tomorrow and have $6,000. Oh, I'm going to do this again. That's probably not going to happen. But God will give him more opportunities. And he's the son of light. So that's a good thing. And then lastly, verse number 13 Here's why. Here's the point. No servant can serve two masters. He's either going to hate one and love the other, or, here's this parallelism, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't have two masters. It's impossible. You cannot have two masters. I mean, if you, if you, by the pure definition of what a master is, you can't have two. You ever had two bosses? You ever had two parents? And you run to one, hey, can I go to the game? No, you can't go to the game. Go to the other one. Can I go to the game? Well, I guess so. Now there's a problem, right? That doesn't work. If you're doing that, parents, it didn't go to work. You can't have two masters. What Jesus is saying here. I want you to notice what happens. Verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money... Their idol has been revealed. Be careful, your idol's showing. They were lovers of money, and they heard all these things. 
and they ridiculed him. Puh! What an idiot. Oh, it's just ridiculous. Give away, that, that idiot gave away that money. Oh, what a stupid fool. Ridiculed him. Go in there and serve those kids every single Sunday morning. Go down there and teach those little snot-nosed kids about Jesus. What a fool. What are they doing that for? You see this idea? When our idol was attacked, the things we have stewardship over, we don't like it. So we ridicule. So here's the truth. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to us, give to me, give to me. Not because I need the resources. Jesus doesn't need the resources. Jesus says, give to him, not because he needs the resources. Why then? Listen, this is important. Give to him because you need released. You need set free. That is why we give. So you can be set free. When I give my resource, when I give my time, when I give my relationship, when I give my ability, when I give my gifting, when I give, it severs the life from the idol. It kills it. And then I have one master. And I'm a son of light that's as happy as can be. It cuts the life from the idol, when I give the resource. I can't tell you how many times people have said this to me. Oh, I'd like to do that, Lowell. I'd like to do that. I really would. I really feel like God really wants me to do that. But you've got to understand, I've got this on me, and I've got this on me, and i got this, and i got this, and i got this, and a whine, a whine, a whine. They keep on going through their whine list, and I'm like, yeah, yep. You just told me everything that's feeding that idol. You talk about a vine. There's a vine. And the best thing you could do is lop it off. Lop it off. Give Jesus your resources, not because he needs them, because, but because we need set free. Let's talk to Jesus. Father in heaven, Lord, protect us from misunderstanding what you're saying. But we follow you. You promise us many things. You promise us that you'll provide for us. You promise us that you'll be with us. You promise us you'll never leave us. But Lord, you also promise us that the road will be narrow. And that at times it will be difficult. And at times it will be a very much a challenge, a trial. But Lord, you don't leave us. God, you know the idols we have. God, you are aware of them. And you're making us aware of them even now. Father, give us the faith to trust you completely with all of your resources. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.